You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Sheila and I, when we lived in Zimbabwe, were going through the cultural shock and trying to adjust. And Stan and Iva May, who lived in Bulawayo, said, why don't y'all come and, and just travel with us during Christmas because this is your first Christmas. You'll be lonely. We went to Victoria Falls, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. We were there with the kids. Jeffrey was probably five, and they were older from there. And we could, we could see the mist. This is one of the natural wonders of the world. The, the waterfall's massive. We could see the mist just coming up and exploding into the sky. And we began to feel the ground shaking under our feet. We were clinging to our kids. When we came to the Victoria Falls and saw, we just stood there in reverence and in awe. We were overwhelmed by it. My dad, when we went, he had seen Niagara Falls. I was born there in that area. And, and my dad said, we came around the first turn. He said, well, son, this is about like Niagara Falls. I said, dad, keep walking. And all of a sudden, a mile of massive waterfall was almost beyond comprehension. And it captivated the attention of us and our children. It captivated my dad. I want you to listen. Imagine one day on the other side of death being in heaven and being so captivated by the presence and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ that it holds your attention attention for eternity. You will never grow tired of looking at Jesus. Wow. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, that you wrap your arms around us, Lord, the songs, the intensity by which we have praised, we have worshiped you. The words, dear Lord, have spoken to our souls deep down in the depth of our spirit. Lord, we ask you right now, dear Lord, to illuminate your word, help it to come alive. May, dear Lord, we leave here changed forever, walking different. May we look back one day and say it was that day that God spoke deep into my heart some things that I needed to hear. Lord, cleanse me, use me. Cleanse, dear Lord, this congregation. Point our hearts toward toward you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to remain standing. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're doing that, Bethany, uh, uh, who's soon to be Mrs. Eric Rogers, Bethany is taking the children to Children's Church. And then there is a shower afterwards for Bethany. And the guys are still working on something for, um, for Eric. Eric, I think you ought to at least be allowed to go fix a plate for all of us. I mean, for you before you leave. Um, Thank you, Bethany. I appreciate it. I titled the message today, Church, the Great American Spectator Sport. I don't know how many of you watched Alabama and Florida yesterday, but boy, that was a nail-biter. Mostly if you were an Alabama fan who's used to Johnny, he's a deep, devout Alabama fan. But for Alabama fans... You're not used to seeing a team that really, in many ways, struggled. They just did not look like the Tide. They were wrestling, struggling on the front line. 
running game was not anything like former Alabama teams. And so it was just tough to watch that if you were pulling for Alabama. And if you're a former Mississippi State, you never pull for Florida. <laughs> right, Dan Mullins? But anyway, I kind of looked over at Philip, thinking he might back me up on that. But anyway, it, it was an unbelievable uh, test to the number one team in the country. And as I watched that, I began to note some people that were very good, playing very well, and then I began to note others that were not doing very good at all. It looked like, for one thing, they just simply couldn't get a running game going at all. Offensive line seemed to be just overwhelmed by Florida's defense. The running back just did not seem to, uh, you know, just to be able to get it done. And so it was tough watching. Sometimes that's the way it is when you look at the church. It looks like the church is barely squeaking past the enemy by our opponent, and it is really hard to watch at times. I don't know how many of you have built a house. Anybody build a house? Anybody building a house? Uh, it's, you know, it's the greatest test of a marriage, a home, a family, if you build a house. When you're building a house, there's a lot to building a house. First of all, you've got to determine the site where you're going to build uh, Ledge and Alicia right now doing that and then you've got to get a good dozer man he's got to come in there and he's got to know what he's doing and he's got to clear out the bad dirt move away the topsoil find good dirt and make a good solid house pad after he gets everything done then you've got to have somebody come in they dig out the footings they begin to they begin to map out the forms according to the plans of the architect the house plans then you've got people that come in, they form it up, and before you pour the concrete, you've got to get all your plumbing done, and that's got to be done, and a lot of things have got to be done before you ever pour the concrete. And then it's one step after another. You can't, every part of the journey depends on other people doing their job. The pad has to be right, the forms have to be built, footings have to be dug, reinforcement wire, rebarb's got to be put in, then the plumbing's got to be put in, and everybody's depending on the other person to do their job to get a house built. That is church. And this is what Paul's talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, and we're going to move around a little bit in the scripture today, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning at verse 1, because you see, we're living in a day right now where church is becoming a, a spectator sport. Um, people today, they're not, um, you know, we've got, you've got multiple services. Now let me tell you, multiple services in most churches, even large megachurches, has nothing to do with the crowd and trying to acclimate to the crowd. A lot of those churches could cut it back to two or even one. The reality is some churches have multiple service because they have the contemporary worship, they have the traditional worship, then they have the blended worship. In other words, they have a worship to fit whatever your desire is because we are consumers today. Churches become spectator. In other words, most people come in today theater seating. I remember one time a man coming years ago, years ago, and he said, would you be interested in theater seating? He said it'll cost about $300 a seat. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. The guy that came actually was in a large church. He was in another state. He was here on business, but followed us on our, on our podcast. He said, let me ask you something. He said, our church is in a multi-million dollar building, and we're, and we're buying theater seats, and they're $300 a seat. 
And he said, I have a hard time with that. And when I see the ministries that you're doing, I see some of the things that are going on. He said, I have a hard time thinking about spending $300 a seat. So you know what my suggestion was? You know, I'm blunt and honest. I said, well, listen, why don't you buy a folding chair, carry it to the pastor's office, sit down in it, and say, hey, listen, we could say by all account, by, by what I'm figuring, I think it was about 600000 maybe maybe more than that, maybe $900,000, 3,000-seat auditorium. If we just use these folding chairs, I'll buy mine, you buy yours, and we'll save a we'll save millions of dollars, or we'll save about a million dollars and we use it on something else. But most churches today are, they are about conforming and acclimating themselves, different styles of worship, theater, seating. And, uh, you know, people today determine where they go to church based on what do you have to offer. Well, what do you have to offer? What's your children's ministry and why? Like, what do you, uh, hey, listen, uh, the, 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 the uh, staff member that was over Pine Lakes Children's Ministry, came to this church on Thanksgiving with her husband and her two children to do, uh, to do our homeless meal on Thanksgiving. They came, they, they were part of serving, the kids were running around, they were in the gym doing the things that they do when they got through. Well, at Christmas, I'm in the gym, and all of a sudden somebody, a young woman taps me on my shoulder. I turn around, it's a staff member. And she said, Brother Jeff, let me tell you what happened. She said, my two kids got up this morning, look, listen to this, to parent. They walked in, looked at Santa Claus, the Christmas stuff under the tree in the living room, looked at it, walked over, looked at it, and then said, Mom, can we go to Southside? Even children know what church is really all about. You know, today we live stream, and that's just made people even more now where they can sit and have a cup of joe and eat a cinnamon roll, watch TV, and watch from their homes now. We're more spectator sport than we've ever been before, and it's killing the church. Because that's not church, and this is what Paul's talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now watch verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works of all of works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? For the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge. By means of the same Spirit to another faith. By the sp same Spirit to another gifts of healing. By that one Spirit to another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits, discernment. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues, languages. And still another to the interpretation of those tongues and languages. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He gives them to each one just as God Determines. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Is it cool in here to y'all? It is pretty cool. See, I have to watch these guys, the worship team. They come in here. And they, I, I've come in here and the thing's on 60. It's on 68. 
that may be just a little bit cool for you. So I tell you what, it's actually saying 71, so we'll bring it up to 71. These, the, the, this, this bunch up here, but they'll freeze you out. So uh, now they're blaming Jesse back there on the drums, but uh, no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But anyway, it's on 60. Are we getting this on live stream? Brian, you're supposed to follow me with the camera. I'm going. Now let me make let me make some uh, some statements. First of all, the health of a church is dependent upon you and I being able to identify that spiritual gift, whatever our giftedness is, and beginning to utilize that gift. I go back to this: when you're building a house, the plumber cannot come and do the work under the foundation until the bulldozer man has set the pad up and the people that are pouring your concrete have built the forms and done the footing. It's only then, listen, a plumber doesn't say, you know what, I think to save time, I'm going to bring the pipe on out there, PVC pipe, and I'm just going to go ahead and lay it across the pad. No, it, it works in a system. Everybody has a part. And the reality is it's the same with the church. And you may say, well, what about natural versus supernatural? Is this spiritual gifts, this supernatural gifting? Is this what happens when I become a Christian? God gives me spiritual gifts. What about some of those natural abilities? Listen, I think even natural abilities can be spiritually empowered so that God can use them for his service. If you're a teacher here and you teach children, it may be that you may not want to do it on Sundays, but it may, if that's your giftedness, God can take that giftedness and use it to teach children downstairs. You know, I'm amazed a lot of times. Marge gets up, her and Jerry and go all day on Wednesday, and then they come here and fix soup. And I'm telling you, I, I tell you that I have a lot of intestinal stomach issues. I never get sick on Marge's soup. Never. Oh, John, by the way, Nukes does that to me. I don't get sick on Nukes either. I thought I'd put a plug in for John since he does graphic design for Nukes. But anyway, you know. But God can, listen, God can take your spiritual gift and even your natural ability and supernaturally empower it. And that's what makes a church function. Robert Carver made this, uh, Culver made this statement, a great systematic theology book he wrote. This is not, nor has it to do, nor has nothing to do with personal magnetism or leadership ability. In other words, when we talk about charisma, the grace gifts, when you get saved, God gives you a spiritual gift. Now think about that for a moment. When you were saved, when you came to Christ, God, through His indwelling Holy Spirit, gifted you with a gift that comes through that Spirit. That's called a grace gift. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? What did we say? What does Paul say? For the common good. In other words, now to each one, that's every member of the body of Christ, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the unity, for the well-being of the body of Christ. Now look at verse 11. All these are the, one, are the work of one and the same indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that indwells you indwells me. The Holy Spirit that gifted you gifted me. God's given you gifts that I need. God's given me gifts that, that you need. We're all working together, building up, encouraging one another. 
Let me make some general statements, and I want you to listen. Number one, when you and I, again, when we repent of our sin and give our life to Jesus Christ, you remember last week, two baptisms take place simultaneously. When I repent, my wife prayed, 19-year-old widow, married to a guy in her first marriage, dealing in drugs, and listen, he was killed by holding on to money, killed, she was a widow at 18 years old. At 19, she's a freshman in college. One day she gets down on her knees in the dorm by her bed and she said, unlike that dorm, for that first time I've ever seen it, it was dead quiet. You couldn't hear anything. She said, I knew Jesus Christ was in that dorm room and she gave her life to Christ. Now listen, when your pastor's wife gave her life to Christ, immediately God filled her with his Holy Spirit. She became the temple of God's Holy Spirit. At the same time, another baptism took place. The word baptist, baptismo, baptism means to immerse. She was now filled with God's Holy Spirit, the temple of God's Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ baptized her into his body. She is now in the body of Christ, equipped and gifted. And listen, let me tell you a gift she has. She has the gift of mercy. And there are times that, listen, I have the gift of take the bull by the horns, whatever that gift is. She has a gift of mercy, and sometimes I need her gift to work in my life to make me everything that I need to be as a pastor. She needs me, and I need her. When you and I repent of our sin, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're given a gift. Listen to what... uh, um, James Montgomery Boyce said, I thought this was good. He pastored 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church. He said, at 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church, it is committed to developing and maintaining, first of all, a strong teaching pulpit in the city of Philadelphia. Secondly, an effective network of fellowship groups aimed at meeting individual needs. In other words, the small group setting. Thirdly, a program of Christian education to promote the steady growth of our church family to spiritual maturity and in cooperation with other Christians. And then finally, an evangelistic outreach in the city and around the world. The young lady that walked out a minute ago with your children, I can tell you this much. She tells me, she'll text me, I'm, I'm teaching on this, I'm doing this, where are you going to be today? She wants to know. She's invested teaching, pouring her life into your children. She's using her gifts. And right now, as a parent, you're able to sit here and relax and spend time thinking about what God wants to plant in your life because she's effectively using her gift. I'm going to tell you, Eric, I'm going to say it. And I'm like her dad in some ways because she lost her dad, a precious man of God. But I can tell you this much, you are getting a good girl. This church has been blessed and gifted with some people who use their gift. Secondly, hear me, parent, when your child gets saved, it is your responsibility to help them find their gift. You know, a lot of times I get tickled at Caleb and Molly. You got little CJ. This is CJ. 
one day Molly came up and she's got the mask on, but her eyes are about this big. And she said, Brother Jeff, he's so strong-willed. I don't know whether she wanted me to pray for her or to give her sympathy. I looked at her and said, wow, you are lucky. Thank God. Because it's no longer about raising a strong-willed child. Listen, parent, in this day, it is about raising your child to be strong-willed. And if you don't believe that, go back there and sit down and talk to Alan and Celia about sending a college kid, a freshman, to Duke University. Talk to Johnny and Kathy. Talk to those people that are sending their kids into that academic environment, which is right now one of the most difficult places to be in America. But let me tell you, I looked at Molly and I looked at, at Caleb and I said, God has gifted CJ with leadership, a certain uh, leadership potential. There's something about him. And now, and listen, as he comes to Christ, God will give him a spiritual gift. They've got to identify that gift and then begin to hone it and make him into everything God would have him to be. I made this statement, Emily, in the men's class. I looked at Eric Seals, and I said, uh, Brennan and Emma Grace remind me a lot of each other. And let me tell you where they remind me a lot of each other. Last week, Brennan was in our home. I got a Dogo Argentino. This dog is, this dog's something. I mean, this dog can scare me at times. You don't play, you got to be careful. So I worry about the kids. Brennan is like the dog whisperer. I mean, she was petting the dog, talking to the dog. And, and listen, it's like the dog comes under a spell as if he's around her. I call her the little Caesar Milan. But listen, you may say, well, what is God going to do? When God, when God brings her to repentance and she becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, then the reality is God will give her spiritual gifts. And it may be one day, I looked at Eric, it may be one day, that she has a, an unbelievable veterinarian practice and she may be a vet and she may be that individual when people are crying because their dog is about to die and she's able to do something to save that dog's life and that family looks at her and they cry and they weep and they grab her neck, then she can tell them about Christ. And Emma Grace is the same way. There's something about her spirit. She's just like a dog whisperer. Parent, it is your responsibility to help your children to discover and use that gift. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go. The word way in the Hebrew means bent. God has bent your child a certain way, and it is your responsibility through prayer in God's word to determine what that is. God's busy. I've looked at Davion a lot of times and said, Davion, when he begins to share some of the writings, some of the things that he's doing, I say, I say to him, Davion, God has given you a gift. It is your responsibility now at this age, young people, to begin to develop that gift. You know, sometimes, though, I, I think to myself, and I, and I wrote this down, parent, you need to live your gift out in front of your children. And I went on to say this, and you need to teach your children to have a servant heart. There's too many dads and moms that allow their children to disrespect the church, to disrespect this house. You don't clean up after, they drop crumbs everywhere. The lot, some of you youth, to be out, reality is, some of you youth eat your biscuit and throw it everywhere. And some of the jelly on the, on the carpet around here is because of not only children, but because of youth. 
My dad, years ago, 25 years ago this December, my dad came to this church and walked the hallways with me. We went down to the old sanctuary. It's, it's gone. It ain't even there no more. We walked into the old sanctuary where years ago Clyde Harris and some of those would meet the first radio ministry that began in the state of Mississippi was downstairs in that old sanctuary in that old building. We walked in there and it was nothing but dirt, filth, and junk from the, you couldn't even get the door open on the whole bottom floor of that building. I was a brand new pastor here. It was discouraging. I felt defeated. I was upset. My dad looked at me and he said, son, he said, the tragedy is some of the people in this membership of this church, their houses look exactly like that old sanctuary. What they live here is what they live at home. Parent, let me ask you something. Are you teaching, helping your child to discover that grip, that gift, that ability, or are you just simply just giving in to them? You let them disrespect the home. You clean up after them. You go into the bath. You go in some of our bathrooms. Look like a water buffalo's been in there and took a dump in some of our toilets. And you may say, "Well, that's a little crude." Well, the reality is, the truth of the matter is, is people. I'm telling you, how are you raising your children? Our gym a few our gym a few months ago literally looked like a pigsty. Pigsty. It was horrible. My little grandson, my oldest grandson, Sam went in there and cleaned that gym up spotless. Why? Because his dad, Matt Scapell, is a pastor and he knows what it means for a gym to be clean. What are you teaching your children at home? What are you modeling in front of them? How are you raising your children? Are you raising them to do what a lot of people are doing in America? When, when I was a boy with John F. Kennedy, and I can remember when he was assassinated, I can remember I was in the second grade, Mrs. Walter's class, when all of a sudden the, the intercom came over and said, may we have your attention, please, in Titusville, Florida, where NASA was, where we were on the space race to get to the moon. My dad was an engineer with NASA. When that announcement came, could I have your attention, please? I was a second grader. The President of the United States has been killed, assassinated. And I watched my teacher collapse behind her desk. I walked in after I got off the bus, and my mom, a voting Republican, sat there and wept and cried over a Democrat president. But that president made this statement, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Boy, that's long since gone. Everybody now is bleeding this country for whatever they can get out of it. We can't get people to work anymore. We're a lazy, good-for-nothing, overweight, unstimulated, no passion whatsoever. You can't get people to work at Cracker Barrel. You can't get people to work in the industry. I had a multi-million dollar man with a business in this city who wept and cried and said, I can't get employees. Why? Because the United States government is basically giving in and feeding people, taking care of them, and people have no initiative anymore. And if that upsets you, you can apologize to me after the service. What are we teaching our children? If we're gifted, if your child is saved at five or six years old and you believe they're genuinely saved, then God has given them a spiritual gift and as a parent, it's your responsibility to help them find out what it is. And let me tell you, you can tell it at a young age. Right? I mean, you can tell it at a young age. Thirdly, 
and I, I, I need to move on because I just basically, thirdly, are you a low-maintenance or a high-maintenance member? If you're in ministry, if anybody's watching who's in ministry, they if they're a preacher's kid, they immediately know what I'm talking about. High-maintenance or low-maintenance member. High-maintenance member. You know what a high-maintenance member is? Is when you show up two Sundays in a row, we have to make a big deal out of it. High maintenance members are those people that come in and they just take, 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 take. They don't give anything. It never occurred to you to walk down there and say thank you to Bethany. It would never occur to you to say, Bethany, is there some kind of snacks I can bring for the kids? Is there anything that I can do? High maintenance members require a lot of time and attention. You have to spoil them. They're narcissistic, self-centered absorbed in their own life. It's all about them. They're a victim. They've been hurt. They've gone through difficulty, pain, sorrow. They've lost this, lost that, been cheated on this, done this, been that, you know. And the reality is we forget the Mary Renfro. We forget the Mary Renfro, the senior adult who just buried her only son at 57 years old and who wept and cried and said, Brother Jeff, to Sheila and I at the funeral, this is not right. who lives in an assisted living home who probably could use a note or a letter or something to say, I want you to know I love you and I, we've been missing you and I want you to know we're praying for you. Let somebody else do that. Number four, put your spiritual antennas up real high. The reason you're miserable in your life, for some of you, the reason you've got such a bad attitude is because you have long since either given up discovering your gift or you're no longer using it. That's the bottom line. God has gifted you, given abilities. Listen, we got a urinal down there. You know how we, you know how, you know how I clean the urinal? I take water and slosh it around and I'm the custodian. The bathroom and the ladies' bathroom, the guts of it don't work. We got to get the uh, gutters off, Willie, because the gutters, the guy did our roof said, we think that's what's causing some of the leaks. And the list goes on and on. And you say, well, Brother Jeff, you mean that's my responsibility? Partly, it's all our responsibility. But if you mess a m two months of Sundays, which most of our membership does, most of our membership here misses two months of, mu of Sundays. In other words, on the average, a good member misses two months of Sundays. Why? Because you have other things to do. And then you wonder why America's in the shape that it's in. You see, the reality is for some of us, the reason we're so miserable is because we're no longer using the gifts and abilities that God's given us. You remember Moses? You remember when God called Moses? You know what? Moses was mad at God. Moses basically said to God, God, your people back down in Egypt, your chosen covenant people, these people that you supposedly love, they're down there crying out. They're in pain and sorrow. They've been in slavery for 400 years. They are living in hell. And you know what God said? He said, Moses, I've heard their cry. I've seen their heartache. And I'm sending you. And you know what Moses said? Are you kidding? I'm 80? I can't talk? And he probably said it like this. God, I don't know. I can't talk. 
I stutter. I can't speak. I don't have no leadership ability. What's your name? I don't even know who you are. Who are you? I'm Yahweh, Jehovah God. Tell them I am such. I mean, you think, you think they're going to believe me? I've been, I've been a runaway fugitive for 40 years. My, my, uh, my picture's all over the post office back there in Egypt. There's no way that I can do this. God, you got the wrong man. I'm too old, can't talk, and I'm a wanted fugitive. I'm a felon. And you're going to send me back to deliver the people? What good is an 80-year-old man who leans on a staff and has spent 40 years corralling sheep around Midian? What can I do? And God says, throw the staff down. And the staff comes alive. God said, put your hand in your cloak. And he pulls it out, it's leprous. Put it back in. Pull it out again. It's clean. God says, Moses, I can take an 80-year-old, stuttering, bumbling shepherd who's a fugitive and make him one of the greatest names that has ever been uttered from the mouth of man. Some of us, we think to ourselves, we think, you know, God, you don't know, I don't have this, I can't do this, I can't do this. I, 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 a spiritual gift doesn't make you spiritual. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean make you spiritual. But I can tell you this much, when you begin to work for the kingdom of God and you begin to invest your gift, you will find a peace and a joy and a contentment that it doesn't matter where we go. That gift of mercy comes out. It comes out with the waitress at the Cracker Barrel. It comes out in every, any job she's ever held. She's like a little pastor in that home, in that office, pouring her heart and life into, the, into other people, on the phone, wherever it may be. God's gifted you. God's given you abilities. And when you utilize those, wow, the potential that you have. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, he said, fan in the flames a gift. You know why? Because Timothy probably quit fanning in the flames. I can't leave a fire alone. I, I can't. Are you that way? You know what I'm talking about? You can't leave a fire alone. I mean, it doesn't matter what's on a fireplace. It doesn't matter if you're burning something out in the yard. It doesn't matter if you had a big somebody else's bonfire and they've got a fire pit. It doesn't matter. Wherever there's fire, I got to poke at it, move it around. Sheila, look at me sometimes. Leave the fire alone. Just sit down and rest. I can't. I got to move it around. I want it to flame up some more. I got to put another log on it and move that log over twist that log around and oh there's a coal that fell off to the side there I mean I can't let a fire go you know what Paul told Timothy he said Timothy said fan in the flame he said Timothy quit neglecting your gift Timothy in the Bible neglected his gift to the degree that Paul and listen he had a stomach problem he had to take a little wine for his stomach he had a lot of his ailments and problems was because he was neglecting his gift Paul said quit neglecting your gift fan in the flames a gift of grace that God's given you. What is your gift? You. My daughter sitting here by her mom is a lot like her. Who had a patient, one a radiation therapist in the cancer center, a mom who's got small children, who's got cancer, who literally got up on that, got up on there to get ready to do the work, 
the radiation, and all of a sudden, <laughs> and if I remember, and you're tearing up now, if I remember, she left, came out from being the business, the person, you know, you can't stand people in the medical who have no heart, but who left that, came around, crawled up there, took her phone, put it on some worship music, and laid next to her, and held her, and calmed her. Some of you are teachers. You, I look out, and I see Courtney, and I see Emily, and teachers, and I think to myself, you are the most powerful figures in this country. I listen to somebody tell a sad story of a child not even having their hair fixed, and the mom angry and whatever, talking about resenting the fact of fixing a child's hair. How many teachers or how many kids may come into your classroom and the reality is they look unkept and your thought is, as a teacher, you know they've not been taken care of. And your first thing is not to be a teacher, but to be a mom and to show mercy. You have a gift. And we're going to have to close in a moment, but I can tell you this much, it makes all the difference in the world when you begin to realize what Paul was saying. God, when I came to you, God, you gave me a gift. My gift, one of my gifts is just doing what I'm doing now. I love doing this. I'm fulfilled doing this. When I can't do this, I'm miserable. If God's going to kill me, let me die doing this. If I drop dead of a massive heart attack, if the widow maker finally cuts up and closes up because of the stint, then hey, you can listen, smile, come to the funeral and say, wow, Brother Jeff went out the way he wanted. If I drop dead here, I'll be standing absent from the body, present with the Lord. And the time my, before my body hits this floor, I'll be standing there with Jesus, hearing him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are you using your gift? Now, I've got to close. I'm not going to keep you. I was going to get into Ephesians 4. I want you to go back. I want you to read Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. So write that down or put that in your hand or whatever. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 17. And because uh, we've got a shower and a lot going on, we're just going to end. But let me tell you, let me, let, me, let me say this, and then let me close with this, because I want to get into the body dynamics of the, of the church. We're all members of one body. Jesus is the mind. We talked about that. But let me tell you one story, and then we'll close. Then we'll pray. But I want you to listen to this. Okay, I want you to listen to this. Today in our country and in our world, and especially with COVID, people are discouraged. People are afraid. People are living in fear. Denzel Washington tells this story. Denzel Washington said his mother was, had a beauty salon. And Denzel Washington, the famous movie star, whatever, Denzel Washington said he was at his mom's beauty salon. He was a little boy. And he said this, he said here, he was in, and you can just imagine this African-American beauty salon and the dynamics of it. And he said there was this woman who came in there all the time and she's sitting there, kind of a bigger lady. She's a Christian woman and she's got that big blow dryer thing on her head, you know, where they sit up under and it's over. And he said, every time I looked at her, she was looking at me. He said, I mean, man, it's kind of spooking me a little bit. Denzel Washington said, every time I looked, she was looking at me. And finally, she, pulled, she pushed that thing back. She said, hey, boy. I said, boy, come here a minute. So Denzel Washington said, I just a little boy. I walked over and looked at her. And she said, I want to tell you something that God's put on my heart. She said, one day, you are going to travel the world 
and you're going to speak to millions. He was a little boy. He never forgot it. That big old African-American woman pushed that dryer back, said, hey boy, come here. God told me to tell you this. God put this on my heart. You're going to speak to millions and you're going to travel the world. And he was speaking the commencement at a college university campus. He went on to tell this story. He said, I finally got my break to go to Broadway. He said, I went to Broadway. He said, I was trying out for a part. He said, the part was singing. He said, I went in there and I went, and he said, man, the guy that sang before me sound like professional opera. He said, man, I thought. And then they said, okay, thank you. We'll call you if we need you. Next, Washington. And Denzel said he went in there and he, and he, he's thinking to himself, man, I can't, I can't sing, not like Broadway. And he got up there and stumbled through it, and they said, next. <laughs> he said, the next day they called him back. And they said, well, you got to come back for the second part. And he said, well, what is that? He said, that's acting. Denzel Washington said, I can act. You know, there's nothing wrong in your children believing in themselves and believing in their giftedness. And you, parent, help them believe in their giftedness. He said, I can act. He still didn't get the part. Years later, fast forward, he failed. He went on to say this college commencement, he said, there's going to be times in your life that you're going to know God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for your life. You're going to know how God's gifted you. But you're going to fail. And when you fail, don't give up. He said, guess what? Years, years later, he said, I did a Broadway musical. It won a Tony Award. And he said, it was in the same theater that had told me I was not accepted and sent me home. You're gifted. Gifted. You have abilities, talents, that as you begin to plug into the word of God and you begin to get in prayer, God begins to reveal it to you. And you may say, well, all I could do is cook. But you cook and you make us happy. You bring joy, you and Jerry. You cut up, you carry on at each other, and we know you don't mean it. And in the end, it's just filled with joy and laughter and fun, and children come in there. And sometimes these children come here on Wednesday nights, and do you know what they say? They say, do I have to go home? Do I have to leave? Can we just stay here? And you get to heaven one day and God looks at you and says, hey, come here. That vegetable soup you made for that guy, your pastor, it made him so happy at night when he'd get home and he'd eat it and he'd be so tired and his stomach keeps him with so many problems all the time. The ability, hey, you need to come up with that recipe. God says, I did it. We did it. And then all of a sudden, God looks at somebody who just did soup on Wednesday night and says, hey, come here. Y'all come here, I want to show you something. And a mass of humanity. And all of a sudden, you look, and he says, that child came on Wednesday night. That teenager came on Wednesday night. That was the only hot meal that boy had all week long. And they came to Christ, and they literally multiplied the kingdom of God. Let's stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. 
Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we thank you that when we get saved, that the Bible says that you begin to gift us. You give us talents and abilities. You give us certain things that, dear Lord, make us distinct and different. For some of us, it's the gift of administration. I've heard it said that all you have to do is spill a glass of milk at the table and you'll find out giftedness. One person is saying, hey, go get a towel. You go do this, you go do that, the gift of administration. Another person turns and looks and put their hand on the person who spilled the milk and said, it's all right, it could happen to anybody, the gift of mercy. Another person is actually getting the towel and wiping up the milk, the gift of a servant heart. That's the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray, dear Lord, today that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl within the sound of my voice can recognize that God, you've gifted all of us for service. And sometimes that service requires sacrifice. So Lord, I pray today, I pray first of all that every person knows you, Lord Jesus. They've given you their heart, their life. You live inside of them, your Holy Spirit. They are the temple of your Holy Spirit. You're living in them right now. And you're beginning to reveal right now that call, that purpose, that plan, that giftedness. For some people, it's art. I look at somebody like Shelby there at Duke University, and I think to myself, who can word things the way she does? Who takes us to the very soul of South Jackson? and lets us walk the streets no matter what part of the world we're from. Who can do that? Only somebody gifted by God. I look around this room, dear Lord, and I see men and women that are talented and gifted. I look at Junior, and I sometimes smile because Junior, this tall, lanky young boy that's growing up so quickly, and I see a contagious smile. I see a kindness and a gentleness. He wants to hug. He wants to... He wants to smile and look at you. I see Russell looking at me. His smile is so much like his dad. So Lord, may we understand that whatever that giftedness is, may it be used for your honor and glory. And may you get the glory. Lord, speak to our hearts. Whatever decisions need to be made, may we make them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation to God.